0: Hi, and I'm back with part two of this mini series on thyroid disorders. So if you didn't watch last week's video, I encourage you to check it out because otherwise this week's video might not make a whole lot of sense. So go ahead and listen to that. It's not very long and then you'll be up to date. So I'm starting back in talking about thyroid and how to make sure you're getting the right labs, how to make sure their labs are being interpreted correctly, And then how to understand what your treatment options are. So as you recall from last week, the labs that you need to have checked are thyroid stimulating hormone or TSH. That's the pituitary hormone that stimulates your thyroid to produce those two hormones, T4 and T3. So you need a TSH, you need a free T4, a free T3, and then we need to check for the antibodies that are the most common cause of low thyroid. And there's two different ones. One is called the antithyroid peroxidase antibody. It's just called TPO. And the other one is called the anti-thyroglobulin antibody. So make sure those two are being checked. And then also we want to check the reverse T3. Remember, that's the one that blocks the action of T3, making it not function in your cells. Now, another thing that's really great to check if you can, now, not all labs are going to be able to do this easily, but I really recommend if your thyroid is low to do some micronutrient testing, because as you remember, those enzymes that make our thyroid work properly require selenium, zinc, vitamin D, vitamin A, B vitamins, All of those have to be present in the right amounts for our thyroid to function properly. And of course, we need iodine. Now, I talked about iodine a couple of weeks ago. But as you recall from last week's video, thyroid hormones made from thyroglobulin protein surrounded by iodine molecules. So without it, it simply can't function. And as you recall, the thyroid gland is literally controlling Every organ system in our body, it controls our metabolism. So we've got to feed it the right nutrients in order for it to work properly. So ask your doctor to order those labs. Hopefully they'll be more than happy to do that for you. And then make sure that you look at the numbers yourself. And don't just be looking for things to fall out into the abnormal range on the right-hand side of the page, because we talked about last week in order to fall into the abnormal range, you've got to be way on the edges of the bell curve. And we want to be in the middle because we're talking about not getting sick, but actually optimizing our health. So what are those numbers? And I'm going to tell you, and we'll put those below as well. TSH or thyroid stimulating hormone should be less than two. Now, many labs, most labs don't flag out TSH as abnormal until it's greater than 4.5. Remember, as it goes up, that means your thyroid functions low. Now, if your TSH is greater than 4.5, you've probably had low-functioning thyroid for years and been feeling horrible for a really long time while your TSH has slowly been creeping up. Finally, it gets high enough that somebody pays attention. And at that point, you say, oh my gosh, I've been telling you I've had low thyroid for years. And you probably have. So don't wait for it to be 4.5. If it's greater than 2, something's going on. Uh, You know, your thyroid might still be functioning well, but predictably it's going to get worse in the future. So if you look back at your old labs, you'll see your TSH slowly going up over time. So I often talk about this in my office. If you saw two cars that were about to collide, would you just let that happen and then pick up the pieces That's often how I describe conventional medicine. It's picking up the pieces after a car crash. Instead of recognizing the cars are going to crash, communicating with the drivers and telling them to take a different turn. And that's what we're doing when we see the TSH slowly going up. It's actually intervening before you get really sick. So TSH should be less than two. Free T4, average free T4 for a healthy population is about 1.2. Now, maybe your free T4 isn't exactly 1.2, but if it's less than one or greater than 1.5, then something's probably not optimal. So around 1.2 is a good goal, plus or minus a little bit. Free T3, the average in a normal healthy population is about 3.2. Again, there's some variation, but if it's less than 3 or greater than 3.5 or so, you know, probably that is not optimal. Now, a caveat to that is if you're being treated with thyroid hormone, some doctors do you know run you a little bit on the higher side. But if it gets much higher than 3.5, you're going to have symptoms of high thyroid. And that's not healthy and it doesn't feel good. It puts us at risk of osteoporosis and heart disease and a lot of other things. And in the meantime, you'll feel jittery, anxious. You won't be able to sleep. So we don't want thyroid to be too high. We want it to be right in the middle. So 1.2 for free T4, about 3.2 for free T3. And then reverse T3, we want that to be less than 10 times whatever our free T3 is. So just put that little note that whatever your free T3 is, we want the reverse T3 to be less than 10 times that amount. Now, regarding the antibodies, this is interesting. Um, If you're having your antibody levels checked, because the suspicion is you might have Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is the most common cause of low thyroid. Endocrinologists made a cutoff and said, if your thyroid peroxidase antibody is greater than 30, there's different reference ranges, but this one's common. If it's greater than 30, they'll say you have Hashimoto's. If it's less than 30, you don't have Hashimoto's, which I find kind of comical. I mean, what if it's 28 do I not have it? (laughs) The point being, you shouldn't have any of this antibody. Now, granted, a tiny level could be insignificant, but anything greater than nine, that's a frequent uh, number that we use is significant. And even if it's six, I'm going to want to check it again in 12 months to see if it's going up. But certainly, you don't have to have an antibody level of 30 to know that something is going on, because a small amount of antibody can affect that, that thyroid peroxidase enzyme that allows us to produce thyroid hormone. So, you know, we want the number to be as low as possible. But if it's 15, 30, 300, all of those are not optimal. Now, if you've got a very high antibody level, of course, you're going to have more severe symptoms. But I'm just suggesting that you don't have to have a level of 30 to have a problem. These are arbitrary cutoffs. So we don't want to have any of that at all, really. Same with the anti-thyroglobulin antibody. There are certain cutoffs where after this level, you have Hashimoto's. Under this, you don't. Basically, we just don't want to have any. (laughs) So if you've got those antibodies present, I would look into it a little bit more closely. And you may not have the diagnosis of Hashimoto's, so you don't have that stamp on the chart, but you have low thyroid and it has an autoimmune cause. So that's one aspect. Now, uh, if you have the ability to do micronutrient testing, uh, this is offered by labs, for example, SpectraCell, which is a lab we use in my office I've mentioned before. You can check all of these micronutrients like selenium, zinc. Those might not be easy for your lab to check, but certainly any lab can check your iron level. There's something called ferritin, which is measures the storage amount of iron in our body. So we want that to be you know, 75 or higher. Um, also vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin B, those are easy things for any lab to check. So I think it's really important to make sure that those things are checked. For vitamin D, for example, many labs are still saying anything greater than 30 is okay. So if your vitamin D is 31, the doctor might say it's fine. Well, optimal vitamin D is actually quite a bit higher than that. So we look for your vitamin D level to be at least 50, even up to 100. And vitamin D is so important for so many things, for immune health for bone health. And also, guess what, for thyroid function. So make sure all of those are being checked and make sure that the doctor is referring not to the so-called normal range, which is a giant bell curve, but trying to keep you in the middle or on the higher end of the middle. So now that you've got your labs back, let's just say that your thyroid is low. You've got the symptoms and now somebody's told you that your free T3 is actually 2.6. Your TSH is 2.5. Remember that's a low free T3 and a high TSH. You have hypothyroidism. Maybe you have some antibodies or maybe you don't. Now, if you've got the antibodies, I'm going to talk a little bit more about how diet can affect autoimmune conditions. And, you know, for years we were taught that if you have autoimmune disease, there's really nothing you can do about it. And you might be given steroids or other really strong, harmful medications. And doctors never talked about diet. So emerging science is now pretty clear that autoimmune conditions are very affected by our gut health and they may even be caused by abnormal gut health. So when we eat food, of course, we want our intestine to absorb the nutrients from our food, but we don't want other things to leak into our system. And there's a condition called leaky gut that you might have heard of where those cell junctions that keep the intestinal wall from allowing those things to leak into our system become a little bit, More open. And so we can literally leak toxic things into our system. And our body's going to respond to that with our very clever immune system by coming in with a bunch of inflammation. Now, inflammation is our body's reaction to foreign invaders. You know that from getting a mosquito bite. It's hot, red, angry. That's how we, when we get a fever, same thing. That's how we kill bacteria and viruses or toxins that are entering our system. So if we're leaking toxins into our system, we're in a state of chronic inflammation and we're making antibodies way more than we need to all the time, and that can lead to autoimmune disease. Now, a really interesting thing is that gluten, which all of us can benefit from reducing or giving up, up, gluten is a, a primary player in many autoimmune diseases, but certainly in Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And it's really fascinating that one possible reason why this is the case is that the gluten molecule looks almost identical to thyroid tissue. And so there's a thing called molecular mimicry where if we're leaking gluten into our system because we've got some leaky gut and gluten is very inflammatory to the gut, so it makes that happen much more frequently, then our body's going to make antibodies to gluten And those same antibodies are going to attack the thyroid gland because it looks almost identical. That's really fascinating if you look at pictures of what these molecules look like. So that's one possible explanation for why gluten is very inflammatory to Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So if you have low thyroid, especially the autoimmune kind, it's highly recommended that you eliminate gluten from your diet. And you may not want to hear that because as you know, gluten is in everything made with wheat, barley, or rye, which is a lot of things that we love, right? Bread, pasta, crackers, everything made with flour, beer. It's in all kinds of things that you might not suspect, like ketchup. It's a filler and all kind of just about everything. So giving up gluten is a big commitment. But for those of us who have gluten sensitivity, and if you've got autoimmune thyroiditis, like Hashimoto's, you're going to feel so much better. I've had patients who went from just barely being able to get through the day to feeling absolutely fantastic just by giving up gluten, sometimes without even taking thyroid medication. So it's really important. I would give it a try. At least just commit to get, getting rid of gluten for three weeks and see if you feel better uh, because that inflammation of the antibody is real. A second player, maybe the second most important, is dairy. And I know you don't want to give up your gluten and your dairy, but casein, which is a protein in dairy foods, also looks almost exactly like gluten and thyroid tissue. So if you've got inflammation and you're leaking these things into your gut and we're producing antibodies against gluten and dairy, they're also going to attack your thyroid. And it's really fascinating how much better people feel when they give those two things up if they have autoimmune thyroiditis. So something to consider. And if your doctor has diagnosed you with Hashimoto's and has not told you about diet, they're missing something. So lots and lots of research out there suggesting that that is helpful. And there are many studies showing that patients who are on a traditional American diet versus a gluten-free and even a gluten and dairy-free diet have dramatically different levels of those autoantibodies. And so, of course, if you've got those antibodies present, they're probably never going to go away. But we want to keep them at the lowest levels possible so that you're not continuously attacking your thyroid gland and the enzymes that allow it to function. So nutrition is really important. Not only eliminating or reducing, you know, let's just say eliminating gluten and dairy, at least give it a try. See how you feel. You know, a lot of patients who eliminate gluten and dairy are able to even get off their thyroid medications. It's quite remarkable. And then also making you get make sure you're getting enough of those other nutrients, selenium, zinc, iron, vitamin A, vitamin D, and of course, iodine. So all of those are really important. Now, going back to what I was talking about last week, about how elevated cortisol can also affect your thyroid might sound a little bit trite, but we've really got to do what we can to reduce stress and to sleep better because no matter what you're doing to help your thyroid, if you're under chronic stress, it's going to be very difficult to optimize your thyroid function. So put that on the list of really legitimate ways to help your thyroid function and just help your health in general. So... Now you're at a point where maybe you need to be treated. I want to talk about the treatment options as far as medications go. We've already talked about some nutritional and lifestyle changes. So let's just say you've got low thyroid. You're working on the diet part. The numbers are still low. You're not feeling well. Your doctor is going to want to start you on medication. The traditional medication that I was trained and most of us are trained to prescribe is just synthetic T4. There is nothing wrong with it. Uh, You know, the word synthetic gets a little bit of a bad rap, but centroid, levothyroxine, tyrosint, there's several names for synthetic T4. It's just that. It's synthetic T4. There's no T3 in it. Now, it might work just fine because if you take T4 and you don't have any deficiency of that enzyme that I mentioned that converts T4 into T3 then all that T4 is going to function perfectly well. And then some of it's going to convert into T3 and you'll feel great. And your doctor will check your labs in a few weeks. It does take a few weeks for this to normalize. So you want to wait four to six weeks after starting on thyroid medication to check your levels again. Maybe your free T3 is perfect. Well, that's great. That means that you don't have a deficiency in the deiodinized enzyme, but that's a huge assumption. So very frequently, I've had patients who've been on Synthroid for years, and they have never felt better. They've never felt better. They continue to feel bad because their T3 is low, and no one's been checking it. Doctors just been checking their TSH and saying, oh, your thyroid's fine. But in fact, all this time, they're only taking T4, and their T3 has been low. So there's nothing wrong with Synthroid, but it often doesn't work. So some other options are taking a combination of T4 and T3 together. So many traditional doctors continue to prescribe Synthroid, which is just fine if it works. And then adding synthetic T3, which is called Cytomel or Liothianine. It's another name for the same thing. So Cytomel is T3 and you can take them both together. One of the problems with Cytomel is that it's very short acting. And so you might have to take it twice a day. And a tiny little bit can bump your T3 up so high that it can make you feel jittery. So it's a little bit difficult to manage. But being on Synthroid and Cytomel together is another option. Now, remember we talked about reverse T3. If you've got a high reverse T3, you're definitely gonna need some more T3. So that could be in the form of Cytomel or another option is to take a combination of T4 and T3 together. That's what I usually prescribe, and it's a little bit controversial for some reason. Many doctors don't like it, so I'll tell you why that is and also why I've come to like it, but a combination T4, T3 can come from two different sources. It primarily comes from desiccated or dried pig thyroid gland, which as a vegetarian sounds pretty awful, (laughs) but after the little piggy's been killed for his bacon, they Recycle his thyroid gland. So in that way, it's nice. He's getting all of his bits used. It's dried or desiccated and then it's made into a powder that can then be packed into tablets. So you're literally taking in pig thyroid gland. It's dried pig thyroid gland. That's what it is. And it produces T4 and T3 in a ratio of about four to one. So about four to one. Now you remember that I said earlier that our own thyroid gland produces T4 and T3 in a ratio of about 14 to one. So it has a lot more T3 in it proportionally than what we make from our own thyroid. And that's good because the reason we're taking it is that we're not converting T4 into T3 very well. So it's a really good idea to be taking a little bit higher amount of T3 than our own body makes. So That goes by several brand names, Armour Thyroid is a common one, Nature Thyroid, NP Thyroid. These are all just different brands of desiccated pig thyroid. And you'll get your T4 and T3 in about a four to one combination. And it is a longer acting version of T3. So we don't have to take it twice a day. So many people find that works very well. Now, it got a little bit of a bad rap for various reasons. Um, You know, traditional doctors and I was in that group. They just didn't like the sound of it. Um, You know, we're really attached to our Synthroid. There were arguments that it's not um, stable or it's not safe. And none of that is true. It's very stable. It's very safe. It's one of the most widely prescribed medications on the market. So certainly consider that. And if it helps you to feel better and gets your labs into normal range, it's a great option rather than taking cytamol twice a day. That's what I would take. Now, if you're a vegetarian or vegan, don't like the idea of taking in uh, dried pig thyroid, I had to get my mind around that idea. Um, you can actually get it compounded. And one of the nice things about compounded thyroid hormone is not only is it plant-based, Again, it's synthetic. It's made to look like human thyroid, but you can make it in any ratio that you want to. So we don't just have the four to one ratio, although that's a good place to start. So for example, if we were prescribing it, we normally would start prescribing it in a four to one ratio, T4 to T3. And then based on your labs, you can change it. So you might end up being on a Different ratio, because that's what your lab suggests that you need. So one of the nice things about compounded thyroid hormone is you can make any dose that you can possibly imagine. And then we want to wait at least four to six weeks before we change it, unless you have symptoms of it being too high. And then we want to react a little bit sooner. Because sometimes when your T3 been low and you just get a little bit, that's plenty. Too much is terrible. Not only is it not healthy, but you don't feel good. So we do not want your thyroid to be too high. Another little caveat is when you have your thyroid checked, doesn't really matter when you have it chucked, but you need to have it chucked at the same time each time so that you're comparing apples to apples. So for example, if you take your thyroid hormone in the morning, which is recommended, take it on an empty stomach, take it at 7 a.m., and your doctor's visit is at nine, it's going to look a lot higher than it would look if they checked it at four in the afternoon. So if you check it at nine, you need to always check it at nine. And if you check it at four, you need to always check it at four. Otherwise, you're not gonna know what those numbers mean. And one of the problems that I see frequently is that doctors are just checking it at a random time of the day, and then they might go, oh my gosh, it's too high, because you checked it two hours after you took the medicine and they'll drop your dose down, when really it wasn't too high, it was just checked too early. So a standard that I like, and it's not the only one, we ask our patients to take their thyroid medicine the morning of the lab test, and then we check it four to six hours later, which it's past its peak, but it's still present. And then every time we check it, we do it at the same time. So we can say, we can compare apples to apples when we're looking at how your labs are changing. Some doctors say don't take your medicine in the morning and they check it when you haven't taken anything for greater than 24 hours. I'm not a fan of doing it that way because it's always going to look low and that might cause them to overprescribe and then you might get symptomatic from having your thyroid being too high. So it's not particularly important when you check it, but the most important thing is to check it the same time every time that you have it done. So just to review a few little caveats, make sure that your labs are done. The list that I put below, make sure that you're looking for the mid range, not the what's called normal range, but actually the optimal range. And make sure your doctor is giving you treatment options, including not only medication, but dietary and lifestyle changes. Give it a try getting rid of gluten and dairy, reducing stress, sleeping better, All of these things are going to help your thyroid to function optimally, and you deserve to feel great. Your thyroid gland controls everything in your body, so it's one of the most critical things that we need to function in order to feel good, especially as we're getting older. So that is a lot of information, Um, but I hope you enjoyed it. If you did and you learned something, don't forget to subscribe, share it with your friends, and I can't wait to see you next week.